thank you guys for sharing that song and what a message in that song. You know, that's uh, what worship is all about. It's, uh, it's not the singers, although they do a great job. My choir does a great job. The soloist, and you do a great job singing. But it's not about the singers. It's about the one we're singing to. It's, uh, it's about him. And what a, what a message in that song. Don't ever forget that song. The great I am still is. Regardless of what you might be going through in your life, there's hope. And the reason there's hope, and, and when I say hope, that's not a hope-so hope. That's not an earthly hope, but that's an assurance hope. It's what the Bible speaks of when, we, when it mentions hope. A hope for your salvation. That's the assurance of your salvation. And so we have the assurance that the great I am still is. And he'll always be. And so we praise God for that, for being who he's always been. Romans chapter 12, we want to look at verse uh, 1 and 2, and then we'll look at John chapter 4, we'll look at different passages, but we'll look at John chapter 12, 1 and 2, first of all, and I'm not going to be, you know, I I prayed and prayed and prayed about revival effort coming up next Sunday, and Lord, what do you want me to share about revival and preparing for revival and getting ready for revival, and he kind of took me in a different direction. Uh, I believe the first time that I've never really preached about revival, the week prior to revival. So I want to share with you about returning to the Word, worship God in spirit. Worship God in spirit. So our thoughts uh, today will be about worship, and not only for today, but perhaps uh, I'll interject different sermons on worship as time goes on. So I want to begin kind of like a, a sermon series, but <clears throat> it'll be other sermons injected in. You know, we'll deal with Christmas, and and uh, I don't mean that in a negative way, but we'll, we'll preach, I'll preach about the birth of Christ. But then from time to time, we're going to focus on worship, worship, because I really believe with all of my heart that the Bible teaches biblical worship. So you mean to tell me there's a worship that's not biblical? There sure is. There, there's a worship that's not biblical. We don't want to be called in unbiblical worship. We're speaking about biblical worship. How can I worship God in a biblical way? When you leave here today, you need to be able to say, I believe I worship God in a biblical way. A biblical way. God has his standards. He has his guide for us to worship him. In the Old Testament, in the New Testament. And so I'm going to kind of give an introduction and then we're going to look at some past history, and then we're going to look real quick about, you'll have to listen quick this morning, we're going to look about what does it really mean to worship God in spirit. Worship God in spirit. Sometimes I'll pray, oftentimes I'll pray, and I'll say, God, help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. Well, what does worshiping God in spirit mean? Who worships God in spirit? And so this morning I want to begin this kind of series about biblical worship. Because a number of people, some of you will leave today and you'll say to someone tomorrow, I attended worship yesterday, when really you just attended church. You may say, well, I worship God on Sundays when really you may just be going to church. So there is a a pattern that God gives us, a standard, a guideline in biblical worship. And so whatever we need to understand, we need to understand worship because worship is beneficial. 
as we, re, you know, to receive the benefits from our coming together on a Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, anytime the church gathers as a congregation, we have to understand and experience God's requirements and his standards for biblical worship. Now, there's a lot of things going on in churches today that's not biblical worship. And so I, I prayed to God years and years ago, if God, if we're supposed to be doing it and we're not doing it, we need to start doing it. But if, if we're not supposed to be doing it, please don't let us start doing it. We're talking about biblical worship. You see, our relationship with God is interactive. See, it's interactive. The fellowship from why we were created was built on interaction. We'll discover that in a few minutes. Adam and Eve were created. Why? To have fellowship with God, to love God, to, to worship God, to honor God, to obey God. It's an interaction because of that God blessed them. And part of their responsibility was to, to worship God. And so worship is interaction. We act, God acts. And so God doesn't, God doesn't function in a person's life without some type of, some kind of interdependence. So to say that you believe in something without action, if you say you believe in worship and you don't, you don't have any action, or you say you believe in, you read the Bible and it speaks of worship, worship God and spirit and in truth, and you believe that scripture, but, but yet you have no action, James says that's dead faith. Faith without action and response. Faith without some type of action, some type of response is useless in God's sight. James chapter 2, before we get to Romans, James chapter 2, verse 19, simply says this. James 2, verse 19. Listen, if you will. I believe we have that on the screen for you. James, did I put that down for you? James 2. For thou believest that there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believed and trembled. You see, even the devils believe and tremble. Just believing in Jesus is, is not what it's all about. You know, we, we, we have um, James 2, verse 19. Thou believest thou there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But look at verse 20. I believe we have that. Verse 20. But wilt thou, O Wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? Verse 22. Was not Abraham, was not, uh, look at verse 21, I'm sorry. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? And then verse 22. Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? So Abraham's faith was justified by his actions in response to who he knew God was. And so he knew who God was, and he responded that way in faith. And so you and I can tell God that we're ready like Abraham did. We, we can tell God we're able to offer Isaac on the altar, but until we get to the point of actually offering him, that faith is not complete, and our worship is not complete. The point is, to hear a sermon or to read a scripture about worship and not be willing to be interactive in true worship it's no different than saying to God, I'm willing to offer Isaac on the altar while not being willing to act upon it. I believe in worship, believe the Bible teaches worship, and I'm ready to worship, but you never act upon it. That'd be the same thing as Abraham 
refused him to act upon sacrificing his son. Now remember, God sets standards for worship. He sets requirements for worship. And it's possible, it really is possible to go through life thinking that you have worshiped without ever worshiping. Romans chapter 12. I beseech you, verse 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Verse 2, And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. God has guidelines for worship. Now, he, Romans 12, verse 1, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice. He accepts the presenting of our bodies as a living sacrifice, which is our what? Our reasonable service. Some translations, there's a better translation of the original, which says it's a spiritual act of what? Worship. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, which is a spiritual act of worship. So God is wanting us to present ourselves to him for worship. And verse 2 is equally as important as verse 1. They go together. Because you can't fulfill verse 1, present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto the Lord, which is a spiritual act of worship, if you're being conformed to the world's type of worship. You see, look at verse 2. And be not conformed to the world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So you can't fulfill verse 1 unless you apply verse 2 to your life, and there's only one kind of worship that's acceptable to God, and that's as we present ourselves to him. We're not to let the world draw us away from his standard or his requirement. We, we must not let the world entice us to pursue that which only satisfies the flesh or we will not know the perfect will of God, verse 2. And so if we don't offer God, if we don't offer God the worship that he desires, then we'll never know God's good and acceptable and perfect will of God, verse 2. So the question is this, where do we find out about God's standard for worship? If I'm to worship God in a certain way, how do I find out about that? Well, you find out about that along with other things in, in the book, in this book, in the Bible. See, this is, our, this is really our instruction book. It's the instruction book in, on everything. It's instruction book about marriage. It's instruction book about womanhood. It's instruction book about manhood. It's instruction book about singleness. It's instruction book about uh, childhood and about family and about living. It's an instruction book about worship. If you want to know how to worship, go to the Word. It'll tell you how to worship. Because remember, you have secular worship and you have biblical worship. And one final word in regard to this introduction, that nothing is higher on God's agenda for himself and for his people than true worship. True worship. You don't want to waste your time when you come to the house of God. You want to experience biblical worship. Nothing is higher on God's agenda 
than biblical worship, true worship. And at the same time, nothing is higher on Satan's agenda than the desire to deceive the people of God in regards to worship. Nothing is higher on Satan's agenda than to create substitutes for worship. Nothing is higher on Satan's agenda than to distort and to change what true worship is all about. And so the only way to deal with Satan is the way Jesus dealt with Satan in Matthew 4, 1 through 11. And he just simply says, the word says. God's word says. So you have an introduction. God desires true worship, Romans 12, 1 and 2. And then worship, worship is uh, uh, eternity past. By that I mean as far back as God has allowed us to look, we have found worship. If you remember, that was, it was over worship that the archangel Lucifer led a rebellion in heaven and when, when he tried to overthrow the throne of God. In Isaiah 14, verse 12 and 14, notice what the word says. Isaiah 14, 12 and 14. How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How art thou cut down to the ground which this wakened the nation, weakened the nation? For thou hast said in thy heart, I will ascend into heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, I'll sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. So Satan, Lucifer, began to try to upset the throne of God. You remember the outcome. Large number of angels joined Lucifer in an attempt to upseat God so that Lucifer could be worshipped and son of God, and God cast them out of heaven. They were defeated. They were cast out of heaven. But the attempt did not stop there. From that time on, Satan and his demons have been working to secure the worship of God's creation. Satan wants your worship. Satan wants my worship. This is, this is the fight that Satan has with God. Satan is fighting for the allegiance in the worship of mankind. That's what he desires. And so in the very act of creation, God expressed his love as he created Adam and Eve for himself, and he gave all the everything they needed, he gave to them. And in turn, they were to love him, commune with him, worship him, and enjoy him. And so now, with that in mind, you kindly notice that God has put the has put worship into every heart of every human being. I mean, you can go to the most remote place on earth where there's human inhabitants, and you'll have, you'll have a need, you'll have a desire to worship. Why is that? Because they'll be worshiping something, because God's put that desire in their heart. And the point is, everyone worships something or something. All of us worship someone, something, something. We worship that that's most important to us, that which is what we value the most. It's, it's, the, it's the object, whatever we value the most is the object of our worship. It's that that we bow down to, it's that that we give allegiance to, it's that that creates uh, bears on our mind in regards to our interest and to our time and to our affection. That's what we're going to worship. Matthew 6, verse 21 says, For where your heart is, there will your treasure be also. 
You know, if I could go into your house, kind of like an unseen guest, kind of hang out there for, for about a month, about 30 days, and after hanging out, I just wonder what would I conclude about what, the, what is the object of your worship? If I could just hang out, stay there in that house, and say, now these people, you've put the heart of worship in every person. And I just want to hang out here and see what they worship. I wonder what I, conclu- what I would conclude would be your worship, or what you would worship. Let me, ask, let me share a better question. A better question, more important question is, what does your honest, what is your honest reflection about your preference, your choices, that would cause you to conclude is your object of worship? If you say, well, what, is, what do I worship? Do I worship God? Is he the most important to me? I mean, am I preoccupied with God all the time? Do I have him first in my life? Am I worshiping God? Am I doing to see what... Am I doing the best to see what God wants me to do in my life? I mean, what is your honest opinion about your choice of what you worship? So you have an introduction, God desires true worship, and then you have worship in eternity past. I'm going to close with this. You have worship God in spirit. Look at John chapter 4. John chapter 4, for just a moment. John chapter 4, look at verse 23 and 24. But the hour cometh, and now is, Jesus is speaking to a woman in Sakar. The hour cometh, and now is, in John 4, 23, when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is spirit. They that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So how do I worship God? What does it mean to worship God in spirit? Now in the Old Testament, if you remember, during King Solomon's reign, God chose Solomon to build a temple. And God would inhabit that temple. And that temple would be built in Jerusalem, and it would be built there to honor God. First Chronicles 28 gives you a detailed plan of that temple and what it would look like and what all would go in it it gives the plans for that building it was uh, it was designed by god it was a building that was just it was uh, that of majesty it was a beautiful building it was the only place that his people really could go and worship it was a place of worship but in john chapter 4 that i just read jesus had an encounter with this samaritan woman in a village near sakar and he made this announcement, it's kind of a staggering statement, what kind of they were not accustomed to. He says, the hour cometh and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. So Jesus in that verse was announcing to her that, that the matter of exterior would be secondary and the most important thing to God would be the interior what's on the inside of your heart. You don't worry about going to the building to worship and going through different, um, going through different methods of worship. What's important is that you worship in spirit. God be looking to see if worship comes from our innermost being, our heart. He said there in John 4, 23, he said, 
But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and truth, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. So he was making a direct reference to our inner being, our human spirit. We have to worship him in spirit. The point is, the place of worship will no longer be in the temple at Jerusalem, but whoever his children, or whenever his children would gather, they would offer to the Father worship that he would be seeking, and it would be worship that would come from the inner spirit of man. Worship from the inner being. Romans chapter 1, verse 9, Paul kind of knew what Jesus was speaking of here, and Paul knew that our worship was a form of service that comes from the inside. You know you're serving God. I don't care Joel's back there to sound. His serving God there comes from his inner being. He's doing that because he desires to serve God. He wants to serve God. The word serve in Romans 1 verse 9, For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. That word serve there is a Greek word which means worship. And so what Paul is saying Paul's ministry was a form of worship. It was coming from his heart. You see, his ministry was not something he did because he felt like he had to do it. Nobody else in the church is going to do it, so I'm just going to do it. Nobody's going to sing in the choir, so I'm just going to sing in the choir. Nobody's going to offer to serve anywhere, so I'm just going to do it. That's not where his service came from. His service came from his heart and that he loved God. And so that word serve there in the New Testament really translated uh, worship, something he did out of a love for the Lord. That's what our service is. So the point is, worship comes from within. So God's not impressed with outward expressions of worship that doesn't come from the heart, regardless how good we think that they are. If it's not coming from the heart, God rejects that. So God hears, he receives only what is offered to him in spirit. Matthew chapter 15, listen at verse 8 and 9. The people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. And so to worship in spirit comes from the heart. And so if it comes from the heart and it comes from the spirit, Within the worship in spirit, we must be born by the spirit. That's very important. Look, if you will, at John chapter 3. John chapter 3. John informed a guy by the name of Nicodemus. Look at verse 7, if you will. He told Nicodemus, he says, Marvel not that I say unto thee, you must be born again. Verse 6, he says, That which is born of flesh is flesh, and that which is born of spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I say unto you, you must be born again. So Jesus informed Nicodemus, you must be born again. He explained in verse 6, that which is born of is a spirit is spirit. That which is born of flesh is flesh. The point is human life, regardless, uh, human life just reproduces human life. It takes the spirit of God to breathe divine life into the spirit of man. Spirit bears Spirit produces spiritual things. The flesh produces fleshly things. And so the point being, until we're born of the Spirit of God, 
our human spirits are dead toward God. If you're not a Christian, there's no way you can worship God. Your spirit is dead. But the Bible teaches when we come to Christ by faith and drawn to drawn to him by his Holy Spirit. God does a miracle within us, and we're birthed into his kingdom, and our spirits are made alive unto God. And so we're able to worship God in spirit. What happens when we worship God in spirit? We'll be born first. We'll be born of the spirit. When we're worshiping in the spirit, we're going to respond to his convicting power over our lives while we're worshiping. We'll repent. We'll maintain this repentant and contrite heart. And then we'll maintain, if you're worshiping God in, in spirit, remember this, you'll keep your focus on God. Very important. He'll be the subject, he'll be the object of your worship. Now, our focus in worship should only be on God. I want to kind of drive this home just for a moment. Because it's easy to lose focus when the worship it's not focused on God. Uh, if it's being driven through the vehicle of music, it's real easy to lose focus of God and begin to focus on what? Music. If we're not careful, the music itself can end up being what's most important to us. Some people go to church more for the music than they do anything else. Some people select church because of the music more than anything else. Many people, when they think of worship, they think of music. What kind of worship y'all have at Mountain View? Well, we have this contemporary worship. Or we have traditional worship. Or we'll have blended worship. What are we thinking about? God? No, we're thinking about what? We're thinking about music. And so when we worship God in spirit, our focus is to be on God. Now, we can use a vehicle of music, which is great, but we never are to let our focus be on the music. It's to be on God. Some cases you can ask, and it's all about the music. They're just thinking about the music. Many, many think that worship is music, and music is worship. Some worship music because music has a way to kindly sway our emotions and has the power to sway our emotions. So we have to be careful that music doesn't become the object of our worship. Very important. If we're not careful, people can, you know, music can become the object of our worship. If we're not careful, people can become the object of your worship. The pastor, the preacher can become the object. The music director can become the object. The soloist can become the object. The choir can become the object. You have to remember, God is the object of our worship. God's object. So you have the introduction, God deserves true worship. You have worship in eternity past, and you have worship God in spirit in John 4. We're born again by the spirit. We're convicted by the spirit. And then we worship in spirit and we keep our focus on God. Worship, vitally important. So when we leave here today, my prayer is that you have worship in spirit. We'll talk about truth later. Let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father.
Thank you for an opportunity we have to just kindly walk through the Old Testament, New Testament in regards to worship. We realize, Father, that uh, it's, it is a relationship with you to where we are active, Father, uh, with you in a time of worship. You're worthy of our worship. No other person, no other object, nothing on this earth compares to you. Help us, we pray, to keep our focus upon you in time of worship. Thank you for the beautiful music we have, uh, men, just a few minutes ago, and our choir and our congregational singing. But it's all about you. It's all about you, Lord. It's all about you. And so help us to remember your worth, that you came and you died on the cross for our sins. And help us, Lord, when we meet together for worship, it'll be true worship, true worship. We'll worship you in spirit that we've been born again. We'll worship you under the conviction and repentance, and we'll worship you with a focus that's on you and only on you. Help us, Lord, to uh, uh, come together as your people in worship, worship in spirit. Thank you for what you're going to do during this invitation time, and we make this prayer in Jesus' name.